Correspondence between Lewis and Lovecraft correspondence. Hannah and I are back in the studio together, breaking um, all the Corona rules. Um, and we are joined with a guest who's not breaking all the Corona rules because uh, he's telecommuting in from like some old library. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the official uh, Fables of Refuge green screen backdrop replacement yes there you go uh jarrett sullivan from fables of refuge uh the dm the the dungeon master that would be me hello hello jarrett sullivan on youtube yeah for reals i mean uh it's it's part of my dapper dungeon master brand (laughs) yeah when are you guys gonna start doing t-shirts with dapper dungeon master uh we have merch i some people sent us some mock-ups of like like drawings of bow ties for me which i appreciated (laughs) nice greatly like that's amazing (laughs) did you did you like when you guys were first starting did you like make the choice like hey i'm gonna be the dun the the dapper dungeon master or yeah, was it just yeah, like i I've, just wore it just to have it yeah well i i like dressing up um <laughs> i like wearing a, a tie and stuff i i have this thing where it's like we're far too casual which t-shirts and jeans are great but it's nice to dress up every now and then and i think a lot of us when we grew up we dressed up either going to church or going to work and you're forced into kind of a rigid look and it's uncomfortable and you're not happy and i want to like break that be like no 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 you you can wear fun clothes and it's not it's not too formal to wear a tie but it doesn't have to be workwear it can just be cool fun clothes you know for you to wear and for to change it up for the online dungeons and dragons world i was like oh well you know i'll i'll wear bow ties and vests and hats and uh and and be this part of myself as my dungeon master that's awesome, man. I, like I think that. that's so cool. Like just that idea of like being able to nerd out about cool clothing every once in a while and like make, cause outside of that, what other situations do we have to actually put clothes on nowadays, especially, right. specifically. Yeah, especially now. And in Southern California here, it's like the most casual place. So like even yeah. then it's, it's like, Oh, you're dressed up. Like, no, no, no. I'm just dressing fun. And it's, it doesn't have to not be nerdy. Like this tie, it's like silver and orange paisley. But if you really look at it, that's BB-8 in that paisley. Is it really? Yeah. So this that's is a Star Wars tie and it's nice. just awesome. <laughs> I love that dressing formal is now a counterculture. Uh, yeah, yes. right? <laughs> <laughs> you nerds with your t-shirts my, and jeans. My... my teenage punk heart where it's like <laughs> instead of ripping my jeans and putting them back together with clothes pins it's now wearing ties <laughs> yeah man i'm with you You've i come get full it full circle <laughs> um so jared we we wanted you to join us today um because um we got your producer david Car- well i should say i i got to sit down with, with david carmichael and and talk about his adventure of jumping into producing a D stream show uh and all of that and and he and i nerded out we had this venn diagram it's my favorite thing in the world talking about venn diagrams <laughs> uh this venn diagram of D and like 
uh, studio production, audio and, and video. And like, sure. like it's a very small niche group of people are going to enjoy that episode. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty nerdy to, to like geek out about data in general. Um, oh, sure. So he's like, oh, wait, do you see how I've organized this data into this nice visual representation? You know, uh, it's sad that I would also get on that conversation. So like people who can show me um, graphs and like pie charts and all that, I'm like, yes, yeah, yes, thank you. organize that data. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and like Carmichael, like I, I work in production and I've been doing that as my career for more than a decade now. So I have an appreciation for video and yeah. audio technicals. What, uh, what facet do you generally work in as far as production goes? Um, I have found myself as a teleprompter operator of all things. Okay. Um, it's kind of what I fell into uh, working in a small studio in New York and they needed an operator and then that ended up being uh, enough work. And so that's kind of where I found myself. So it's sort of like camera department and sort of like script department and sure. going between the two and also working with talent. And I mainly work in commercials here. It's uh, that's the most time you need teleprompters for someone selling you something. Yeah, obviously they <laughs> yeah. they can't remember what they're saying. You mm -hmm. have to make sure that they have it. Is there an yeah. art form to that, like making sure that it's going at um, the right speed? It's it's nuanced, I would say. Um, <laughs> and it does like my theater background. I think helps because I organize a script. So like they give me the script, and then I have to arrange it. So it's not just a block of text you know you need to like oh the next sentence should be on the next line or sure. like yeah like those things or how would I want to read this if I was performing it I think that has definitely influenced that work so I, I think there's some nuance to it and then it's just like being an accompanist if you're a musician yeah. you know if you're a pianist and your singer picks up their tempo you pick it up and they slow it down and you slow it down so you just gotta like pay attention to cues that is super cool. I again, I'm nerding out about this, and this is not why we're here. Right? Yeah, that's just what we're here to talk about Hollywood, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Jarrett, tell us how you got into D and D. Let's let's start there. Oh man, history, history. Um, well, I've always been uh, like sci-fi fantasy nerd. So it was always lingering in the background. Uh, my my brother had the second edition handbook, which I have hidden here somewhere in my apartment. I think it's right behind you on that. Yeah, yeah. Real, <laughs> this very uh, real yeah. shelf. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I remember looking at the second edition handbook as a kid and like not understanding what it was, but thinking it was really cool. Um, but then this is the Bible Belt in the 80s and 90s, and so you had the Satanic Ooh, Panic yeah. and all this like anti-Dungeons and Dragons things. Even though it wasn't popular, uh, in the 90s, like people were playing magic when that came out and that mm -hmm. kind of became a thing. Um, but Dungeons and Dragons was still something that people were like, oh, that's that's bad, which right. is the most like, ludicrous thing in the world. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I always wanted to play, but didn't have the access or didn't mm -hmm. understand that I could have the access. The internet was still a new thing <laughs> back sure. then. Yeah. Um, and so I first got into gaming actually playing with the Star Wars D20 system that came out in like 2001. I was already, I had graduated high school. That's when I graduated high school. And my buddy Brent had that, had the book. And, our, and my buddy Chuck had the book. And Chuck was our dungeon master. And he was already 
experienced a little bit and he we played a star wars d20 game all summer nice. so it's like in our friend's attic just playing for hours uh all way overpowered jedi and just having a really of good course time. right yeah. um so that was awesome i was didn't know this at the time but in retrospect i was the definition of a munchkin munchkin because i min maxed all my stats uh, everything and I was an Ewok Jedi who was dual wielding. So I was literally <laughs> the definition of a munchkin. So, nice. uh, but that was just a good time. And then in college, we started playing 3.5, 3.0 and 3.5 yeah. and got into that. And so that's when I really got into gaming was, was in those later years. But all that fantasy and stuff that I loved as a kid, like just like all that rushed into the hobby. Yeah. So it like really informed it. Sure, man. Yeah. I know like for me, it was, it was middle school. I can, I can still remember to this day, the first time I ever played Dungeons and Dragons um, and um, my, my cousins and my brother, they all got to play before me. Cause I, I was, I have divorced parents. So I was with my mom when my dad's side of the family was playing it um, because my dad used to play in high school so they got all their friends together from high school and played it. And so my brother and my cousin are like, Oh, just wait till you play this game. And I'm like, is it a video game? And they're like, yeah, no, I, I was like, is it a, <laughs> it's a, so it's like a board game. They're like, yeah, but there's no board. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. And like, they're trying to explain, you know, like middle schoolers trying to explain to another dumb little middle, middle schooler, how Dungeons and Dragons works. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just showed up. And I rolled my character and everybody was like, oh, your character is so powerful, man. You're, you got to play a paladin because that's, that's what you got to play, man. I'm like, <laughs> okay, great. <Sure. laughs> so, so this, this a seventh grade kid is apparently the most powerful one in the group and, a, and is now in charge of upholding the law for everybody else. And I, it went straight <laughs> to my head. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was, dude, I was hooked the second that that we started and the dm just starts describing the world and and what we're up against and stuff i was like this is the greatest thing on, this is the whole, this is the greatest thing on earth and um yeah we were playing second edition um and then my my older brother was also super into it he got into it as much as i did and he convinced uh his mom to buy him um the the three the third edition books yeah. And so he showed up at our house, uh, you know, cause we would, we would all meet at our, my dad's house. He showed up and he had the whole set and nice. it was, it was like, yes, this is the greatest thing ever. And, and we just, I mean, we immediately started at first level. We're fighting dragons and terrorists nice. or whatever they're called. Threw you in deep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was great, man. It was so fun. I, you know, that's so it's so weird because it's like theater of the imagination plus a board game plus yeah. improv. And it's all this stuff that like as children, we're encouraged to play, you know, just in general and kids go and make up stories and play games all the time. And there's no rules. You're like, I don't understand. Right. But like something, there's some disconnect as we get older where suddenly it's about being productive or having some kind of job or career and, and we lose focus on play. Yeah. Um, and then once people, even people that haven't played any board games, like if you get them to play Dungeons and Dragons and sit down and they kind of see what it is, it, it hits those 
things when you're a kid. You're like, well, I used to be a knight in my backyard fighting the dragon. It was a right. tree, but it was a dragon to me. It's yeah. that same thing. Yeah. And so like people can, like, yeah, there's lots of rules and, and math and stuff, but if you can not worry about that and just get to the core of the game, everybody can do it. And everybody will be like, oh, this is like when I was a child and like just having such a good time. And you're like, yeah, that's what this is. Yeah. Right. Hannah, did you play knights and princess and all of that as a kid? I did. I was always really mad because I'd get forced to be the princess and I wanted sure. to be the knight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would just be a princess with the sword then. Yeah, yeah, you got to smash traditional gender yeah. roles. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to hate it because Jarrett and I have already decided your character is a princess. <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, unlike everything else in Dungeons and Dragons, I have decided it for you. <laughs> I, this is not how I thought this game went. No, that's what that is. What's great about the game is that you can just go against stereotypes. It's all free will. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, so you were saying earlier that you were, you, I mean, you had always been into sci-fi and fantasy and stuff. So, mm -hmm. what sort of things was it that that you really loved the most were you were you reading the dungeons and dragons like novels at all or were you reading um I, I came upon those a little later so i i luckily kind of like accidentally got a classic fantasy literature education uh <laughs> partly through what the library had and partly through what my friends were reading but i think everybody's gateway is the hobbit oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> And I remember being like eight years old at the pool. Like we always went to the pool. Um, I live, I could walk to the pool and I could walk to the library from my house as a kid. So that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, but I was at the pool and my buddy was telling me about like how Bilbo has this ring and he can go invisible. So we were doing that as like a sort of Marco Polo where if you, if you had, if you put the ring on, you had to go underwater. Oh. And then if you take the ring off, you come above the water. And so we, we made up some game as kids. And, but I had, I had no idea what the Hobbit was. Like I didn't know anything about it. So I got the Hobbit and I read that. And then he just gave me the uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe and yep. just went through all the C.S. Lewis. Like I think that's how everybody kind of gets going really, um, at least back in the 90s. Um, and that opened that door it's like, oh, what is this? And then The Hobbit, you learn there's like a sequel with Lord of the Rings and it's a little bit more adult. It's a little bit less successful for a child to read that. Sure. Um, but our library had this amazing radio drama of Lord of the Rings that BBC put out in the, I think it was late 80s. Ian Holm is Frodo. So really? Ian Holm is Bilbo in the movies. He's Frodo in this radio drama. It's incredible. It's fully acted it's sound effects, it's music. Like I still have it. Like I can hear it in my head anytime. That's so um, cool, man. So I blitzed through that just like obsessed and then read the books, understanding what the story was and who the characters were. And then I could get into all that minutia that Tolkien puts out. Right. Because right. when you read it now, you're like, okay, he is undeniably the master of fantasy because he's like the progenitor. He, he created a whole world and languages and all this stuff. But the pacing of that, of those books, oh my goodness. is it the best, but you forgive it because it was, he was writing like a mythology. Yeah. He wasn't uh, writing a fantasy yeah. book like we expect him to be nowadays. He was right. Like he invented the genre. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I read, you know, those, and then, 
you kind of don't understand unfinished tales and lost tales and what those are as a kid, but you try to dive through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silmarillion, which is basically, you know, a college textbook. It, yeah, I was going to say it's a history <laughs> book is what it is. Um, but uh, my buddy was reading Xanth. My buddy Brent was reading Xanth, which is Piers Anthony. As an adult, it is, it is shocking that I was allowed to read these books. <laughs> but as a child, I did not understand all of the sexual innuendo that he has. Like, it's, oh, okay. it's very body. Uh, it's not exactly graphic, but it's Piers Anthony created a fantasy world called Xanth. And yeah. as a kid, you just read it like any other fantasy book. Sure. Um, there's lots and lots of puns, so I like that. And then uh, it was kind of the first time where his fantasy world is connected to our world. So okay. Xanth is like magic Florida. And <laughs> sometimes Korea, like it's always a peninsula, but it's essentially magic Florida. And if you're born in Xanth and you don't have magic, you get kicked out to the regular mundane world. Uh-huh. Um, so this, the main character in the first one, he doesn't have magic. And they're like, oh, no, he's like, I'm going to get kicked out and this sucks. Through the book, I'm just going to go spoil it because it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it's been years. But his magic, he has magic. He creates a really powerful anti-magic field. Oh. So like, and he doesn't realize this until like, you know, it's the big reveal in the book. So he gets to come back. And not only does he have that magic, it is like wizard level, quote unquote, magic. So he's like one of the most powerful magic users in the world, but it creates anti-magic. Right. So it's like two cool things introduced into my kid brain. One, there could be a <laughs> fantasy world connected to our world. Yeah. So that immediately plays into, oh, I could go there. Right. And then two, anti-magic as magic, yeah. which is a, a whole interesting, like, idea to wrap your brain around as a kid it's like, right yeah um yeah you don't think about that very much yeah um, and so like that, another that, I'll, I'll ramble ramble about this if you want me to <laughs> uh, uh, reminds me a lot of uh like shannara uh the chronicle yeah i was gonna bring that up yeah how like it's the future of our world like yeah. that's a cool twist and he even goes back and writes prequels that take place in our world showing the development of how that happened yeah um and then MTV got a hold of it and ruined it. <laughs> Wasn't great. Um, yeah, you know, that's because I, I made a list. I made notes. So I was oh, like, okay, what can perfect. I talk about? Uh, so I put Shannara early on this list because that first one, Sword of Shannara, is basically just a token ripoff. Dude, 100%. But, yeah. But that's okay because as a kid, like, you don't know about tropes and you don't really, like, you're just excited to read something that had a cool cover with a dude with a sword and, like, mm-hmm. elf stones and it's, uh, yeah. Like, ooh, I want to I read this. Um, but he took that world, like he started as a Tolkien ripoff and then really developed it into yeah. something. Yeah. And like, I haven't read a ton, like I've read the original trilogy and I read some of the later stuff. But what really like affected me with that is his, this is like environmentalist fiction from the 70s where yeah. we, we destroyed the world with nuclear arms, with nuclear bombs, and then it became this fantasy world. Right. Um, I, I love that concept. And I think that plays kind of heavy into some of my mythology for refuge. Um, but like we don't have a lot of environmentalist fiction like that anymore in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, another series that did that is the Swords uh, series book of swords book of lost swords that's okay. fred saberhagen so it's again 70s they're short they're not they're not long books 
But my friends who got me into Shinara and got me in was like leading my way. The library had these books. So we were reading them and they're pop fiction. Like there's nothing deep, that deep about them, but it's cool. It's like, there's a sword that will assassinate anyone like magically. You just tell it who you want it to kill. It poof gone. It'll go kill that person. I was never quite sure as a kid, if it just flew out of your hand and flew through the air until it got that person or if it just went and did it. Just like teleports over. Yeah. Like but, death note, but with swords. Yeah. But if you kill someone with it, like the sword is there with the body that it killed and people kind of know it's famous. So people know who has it at any time. Cause they'll use it as like a threat. Oh. Uh, but then it's like, if you kill someone with it, then they know that you killed them. So like someone knows that you killed that person. So they could just send it right back to you. So there's, Oh, I there's see. a dimension yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, and all his stuff is kind of that way. And that, that amazed me. And then I learned that he had written an earlier set of books in the like early seventies. And I was like, Oh, well, I'm going to read that trilogy, which is the empire of the East. But it's that environmentalist thing where the world, there's a nuclear war. It's not necessarily earth, but it's, it's, wink wink it's earth um (laughs) and there are uh the good guys quote unquote that would probably be us as americans and the the bad guys quote unquote those dirty reds the russians uh that they've each developed a computer to nullify nuclear war so the attack happens the good guys computer is called the advanced research defense uh national executive headquarters or something like this. Okay. And then the, the bad guys, we don't know, but they work to stop this bomb, work to stop these bombs from going off. They shift physics and reality when they clash with one another and stop the nuclear war from happening. So that's awesome. But one like mega bomb explodes in that moment. And that explosion of violence becomes Orcus, the most powerful demon in this. Oh man. So it's like, and Orcus is in the swords books and Ardna, the A-R-D, the, the acronym Ardna is a god in the swords books. Really? And you don't know, like, I didn't know that going on. It's like, and then I found his earlier book where he does all this world creation of the fantasy world that he had written like 10 years before he wrote the swords books and I had never read. So that blew my mind to be like, oh, wow, the god that people are worshiping is a computer and... Yeah. There was this old nuclear war and then everything changed like that just like blew my mind that you could do that and even <laughs> didn't need to start at the beginning like Star Wars just in, in Medius Ray, you start in the middle and then right. you learn about the stuff that happened before later and right. it makes it even better. Uh, it's like, whoa. Plus um, like the yeah. whole idea of like combining sci-fi and fantasy together. Yeah. It's been something that I've been thinking about a lot with my own writing and I, the more I see it, the more excited I get that it's like, okay, this is a thing that you're allowed to do. Yeah, because, absolutely. You know, being a young writer, you think, okay, you've got fantasy and then you have sci-fi and you've got mystery and you've got romance. Like you have to write into your specific genre. Yeah, you have to choose one, yeah. you know, mix and match. <laughs> right, but, but from, from the more I, I read and, and look into new stuff to read, it's like, no, man, there's there's a you can do whatever you want and you can create your own genre that's like there's a million punk genres out there because Mm -hmm. they want to create their own even like i was just telling hannah i i just finished my first stephen king novel 
reading okay. uh, my first Stephen King novel. And it wasn't even like a scary book. It was just, it was just like a sci-fi book. Yeah, which one were you reading? The Institute. Okay, yeah, I haven't read that one yet. He's got a ton of stuff. Yeah, and so like I'm looking, I was looking for Stephen King because I was like, okay, I want to be scared. And I know that he's yeah. a master of horror, right? So I get this book. It's not scary at all, but it's right. super interesting and I love it. But it's like, so it's, it's interesting to me that there, you have authors who are actively creating new genres or mixing genres together. Yeah. And I feel like fantasy really lends to that. Like I'm a huge Brandon Sanderson fan, which people like, he's so popular now that people are like, well, Brandon Sanderson. I'm like, no, he's great. Um, (laughs) But he's good. Yeah. Yeah. I know. (laughs) Mistborn is a heist. It's a heist movie or heist book. Like it's essentially what it is. It's, it's a fantasy story, but it's, it's a heist. Right. (laughs) It's like, Oh, like that's just, you know, at taking one genre and putting it in another. Um, and he's great at that. And even like modern movies are doing that really well. Like if you look at Marvel movies, like a lot of them are the same story over and over again. But then yeah, Winter Soldier is like a Tom Clancy movie yeah. in Marvel. Yeah. And, and uh, Spider-Man. Or Ant- uh, Ant-Man. Yeah. Or yeah. Sp- Spider-Man Homecoming is a John Hughes movie in Marvel. <laughs> right. So like you can totally like in fiction be like, oh, well, I like this setting and I like the world I've created, but I want to bring in this genre and, and mix it in. Yeah. Um, and then in fantasy, you can even do that for your world building. You're like, oh, well, before it was like Refuge, it was a uh, kind of like Eberron where there was a high mecha magic society, trains and zeppelins and all this stuff that right. I've like built into the mythos but the world got destroyed. And so when they find stuff, because in Dungeons and Dragons, you always got to go into dungeons right. and find stuff. Uh, it's from that previous world. Like all, yeah. all D&D is always post-apocalyptic. There's always something else to find. <laughs> yeah, and that goes built a that world on top of something else. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that goes back to Tolkien. Like he started that because you have the old, the old world, like uh, you know, Gondor and Arnor were a combined kingdom. And then after the last alliance of elves and men, like they fell apart, but it, there's even older elf stuff or half fits underneath the ocean. Now, like the right. continent got destroyed and Marion Pippin's blades from the Barrow were forged in Gondolin to kill the witch King or whatever. But like at the time they knew that, but then they got lost, but they made their way by fate into right. you know, Mary's hand, like that, all that kind of stuff. It's like, that all came from the world before that got wiped out. And now the story is here and your characters get to find out about that world before while being in the new one. Same, right. same thing with fallout fallout is all, Oh, the old world was the fifties Adam punk. And now we're post-apocalyptic. It's the same thing as fantasy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love it so much. And, and I think that's what makes, um, <clears throat> uh, Sorry, my uh, thanks, Cameron. Um, it's telling us that we we have to stop talking because we're almost at forty minutes or something. Um, oh, no, <laughs> but the uh, oh man, I lost my train. Of, oh yeah, just the discovery of things is mm-hmm. is the whole point of fantasy. I feel like. yeah, you know, and Especially that's why D and D is so good because you are discovering everything. Most of it comes out of the DM's brain, 
Um, yeah. Sometimes their butt as they make it up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, that sword happens to be the most powerful sword ever. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes your players like I've created this world and it's c- going to be in development for like my entire life. Like refuge will never be done. Right. I'll be working and play. If I'm playing fancy D and D from here forward, it's always going to be in my world. That's always going to be continuing to develop it. But like my players will say something like have some intuition or insight that I hadn't thought about. And then it's like, Oh wow. Like I didn't even think about that. And then you spin off your creative brain starts spitting things off and then you got to go back and make some changes or add to the world. So your players can totally like bring nuance and whole new ideas to your creation. Or derail it, you know, whichever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Luckily with refuge, since it's a show, uh, the agents of chaos is, is really low. Um, Car- Carmichael in my home game is a total agent of chaos. <laughs> who just like, we'll just do what it, sometimes it's a bit much, but since it's a home game, you'd just be like, Oh, this is ridiculous. Uh, luckily for the show, we kind of have a uh, idea that we want to continue the story and agents of chaos can bring in some fun, but they don't want to completely derail what's happening. You're working toward a common goal. Yeah. What's the difference between that and a home game? Just because I know nothing about this. Um, like a home game, it's a lot more relaxed, I've found. Um, you're not on as much. I mean, as a DM, I'm still on, but my players my players aren't all actors and uh, for the home game, and they're not, they don't have to be in character the whole time. They can kind of like be more relaxed about it. So gameplay, because of that, um, we – like one of my players likes to make puns and just jokes out of character all the time. And that's fine. Uh, so you, you can, you can play it a little looser. A- anybody's game is going to be different. Um, like I always suggest having a session zero or just a conversation with all the players of what type of game do you want to play? Is it just a joke game where everybody's cutting up jokes and being as ridiculous as possible and then occasional battle and, and just that that's totally fine. Is it a serious like story driven game that you're exploring a world and want to go like be heroes, even though those usually devolve into being ridiculous. Like, you know, the, the meme is you start off from like Lord of the Rings and you turn into Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh my gosh. Uh, That's amazing. That's, that's very true. That's very real. Um, so it just depends on what your players want. Like my home game, it's kind of a mix where a couple players like are, are kind of chaotic and just do ridiculous things while also pursuing the narrative. But I don't punish them for, for being too ridiculous unless they get everybody in trouble. Um, right. <laughs> and the other, the players. I mean, I don't good. know, man. Pain, yeah. uh, playing D and D is all about getting in trouble for me. So like. <laughs> yeah, as, as long as it makes sense for me, as long as like the character is chaotic. So they make chaotic choices. If it's completely out of left field and it's total, like I don't like no meta gaming in my games. Like, I'm doing this because it's funny to me, the player, not it's funny in the game. That gets not fun for a lot of people real fast, um, especially when it's like you're eight adults and you're getting together to play a game and you all have busy schedules and then someone's just cutting up and, and not taking it seriously when everyone else is. That can be a problem. <laughs> but generally, you just have to communicate. <laughs> like rational adults. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I am uh, I am actively trying to keep this this meeting going on <laughs> because if uh, we if we have to 
cut it and then redo a new zoom meeting totally fine no my producer cameron is is trying to fix it right now i'm i'm okay. just actively trying to work with him to get it done yeah is the, it the power of editing screens? uh no it's just i think it's just because we're doing a meeting that's longer than like 10 minutes yeah it's a zoom limitation oh. um so you haven't played it all never amazing never never <laughs> like all of my D and D knowledge to this point comes from watching Stranger Things. So sure. Yep. <laughs> um, have you have you played like fantasy video games, like in any kind of Dungeons and Dragons type game? No. Or ARPG. No. Awesome. Yeah, I'm not a video <laughs> game person. Uh, yeah, never. I I kind of wish I would have played D and D as but like a teenager. You've read a lot of fantasy, right? Yeah, like I've read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and. I mean, Harry Potter, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, usually not the more like niche fantasy type books, though. Like sure. a lot of the ones that you were referencing, I hadn't really heard of. Yeah. And those are older, too. Like you're not digging into Malazan Book of the Fallen, which is like <laughs> heavy war fantasy fiction that's very not okay in terms of like sexual politics. Uh, <laughs> and there's a lot of violence, a lot of just regular violence and a lot of sexual violence that I'm I usually turned off by sexual violence. So like, I mean, that's I, true of like modern fantasy too, though, with like, yeah. uh, that is modern. Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, this is fun to read as a woman. <laughs> right. Yeah. And George, like George Martin is such a crazy writer where it's like, eight pages of food and then eight pages of sex and you're like okay all right okay I mean, that makes a lot of sense he, he likes food and he likes sex yeah this is going to the baser instincts of, of humanity, <laughs> of humanity uh, well that's you know so i'll highly suggest you as a as a reader and fiction fan that mistborn brandon sanderson's like he's got a novel before that but it's a little bit of a debut novel so I always suggest to people to read Mistborn first to kind of get a sense of his writing. He writes very cinematically. We have a, a female protagonist who she's great. Van is, is amazing. And this cool world and magic systems is his like wheelhouse. Like how he works magic for all his books is incredible. And it's just a fun read. And I know nice. the audiobook. I know that it's supposed to be great. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So you said that's by Brandon Sanderson? Brandon Sanderson. His stuff, like, that's a gateway for people that are getting into fantasy. If you don't know what to read besides Lord of the Rings, his stuff is so good. It's super accessible. He's a machine. He writes a ton. And the books are thick. But they're so enjoyable. And it's so much fun. And the magic is fun. And you just want more. And his his huge opus of, like, ten novels that are all 1,000 pages, like, Oh He's still gosh. in like the first th half of that now. And it's awesome. <laughs> Is he still writing right now? Yeah. Yeah. He, he oh, basically wow. does a book a year. He's a machine. That, uh, it seems like that's pretty common among fantasy writers. They either write like a ton of huge books or they're like George R.R. R. Martin and yeah, they're like eight years between books. <laughs> yeah. Him and Pat Rothfuss. I'm like, well, those books just aren't coming out. Yeah. Uh, just like give up is, on learning what happens at the end now. Like you're yeah, never going to get there. It's fine, you know. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but yeah, Brandon and, and he, he, um, so what was it? Something about accessibility. There's something in my mind about like he talks to his fans really well. He, he does a writing podcast. If you're interested in writing, that's what it is. And oh, that's cool. Is that his background is he just loved fantasy and got into being an author because he loved the genre. And fantasy is like the one genre of publishing 
where that is normal, where people are like, well, I never wrote another book, but I just loved Dungeons and Dragons. So then I wrote the story into a book and then it got published. So like it more than anyone else has fans writing in the genre. And that's so great. That's amazing. Okay. And we're back. We're back. We'll put a commercial there. That's totally fine. It'll just be like two full minutes of me dancing. They're just geeking out about awesome books. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's all we do here. Yeah. So a couple of points that I was going to make. One is um, I I got into fantasy kind of through a weird – um a weird way so my my dad wanted me to start reading more as a kid and he get and we were a very christian family so he gave me yeah uh the narnia books mm-hmm. um but before that he he gave me um books by uh, a guy named frank e peretti you okay of him now he he wrote um it's very christian um but it's like it's like uh, demons and angels are fighting over people in the spiritual realm. And you got to, you get to see this kind of dual story of how people deal with it. And then like the spiritual ramifications of warfare around them and stuff. It was just crazy. Sure. And like, and so I was like, Oh, this is very cool. Um, yeah. fun. And then, uh, and then my mom, she started reading an author named Ted Decker. You ever heard of him? I have. I've I've read Ted Decker. It's like a dual world, like here yeah. and and this other fantasy world that's essentially spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. It's it's the Circle trilogy. Yeah. Is what it's called. Or yeah, it's I've a read series that. now because it's four books now. Um, but um, but yeah, it was uh that like that exploded my brain mm-hmm. <laughs> um reading that was huge because it it was basically lord of the rings and 24 the tv show right just smashed together into one book and it that was is quite the combo right it was so perfect i loved it um and then from there uh then i caught on to like narnia lord of the rings and you know just kept going from there um, yeah as you, far as you a lot of my sink reading. your teeth into the wheel of time at all I've read the first two books of Wheel of Time um, because what I realized is the first two books of Wheel of Time, they were one book at one point. Yeah. He 100% went to the publisher and they're like, I think we should cut these in half, make two books, make more money. And you can just fill in some little stuff here and there to, to fill them out. And so he talked about horses for like two chapters. Right. <laughs> is, you know, Robert Jordan, that's how I found Brandon Sanderson was when Robert Jordan died. Brandon Sanderson wrote a really beautiful article about the man and his work. And then like a year later, Brandon was picked to finish the wheel of time. Yeah. And that's when my brother and I were like, well, we need to read this guy then because who's this guy. And then he's like my favorite. Yeah. Uh, Robert Jordan, like he he gets a lot of slack. gets a gets a lot of like, gets a flack is the word I'm looking for. He gets a lot of flack, um, which is deserved. 
<laughs> but the world is incredible. And again, it's like a Lord of the Rings ripoff at the beginning, but uh, then he kind of like, it's still early fantasy writing. So there's still so much tropes that's okay. It's okay yeah. to have tropes. Um, and then he developed and it's like, oh, well, this city is this way. Well, this city is completely different. And this is how they dress. And this right. is how they talk. And this is how they cook their food. And you're like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> and there's the, there's the blue Aja and the red Aja and yeah. the black Aja and the gray Aja. And you know, I, I, I like the, the Ajas and how they each are their own like thing. Um, <clears throat> I always felt like with the Star Wars prequels, if he would have taken like have the Jedi Order be split into like sub orders like that, yeah. that that would have been very uh, like interesting for stories. Like you'd be like, oh, well, you know, each member of the council is the head of an, an Aja. Right. Um, and so it's like, and they each have like ones more, like let's get in there and, and use violence to solve the problem. <laughs> and some are like, no, let's not do anything. And some are like, let's balance it out. Like some are more spiritual. Like, I, I thought that could have been an interesting element to yeah, bring into Star they Wars. Because even play with that a little bit in like the, some of the games, like uh, yeah. Knights of the Old Republic, where you get to choose like, okay, mm-hmm. do you want to be a guardian Jedi, a sentinel Jedi, or... Consular, I believe. Consular, yeah. yeah. And like, that's, that's the old D20 Star Wars system. Knights of the Old Republic uses the same system as the book. That's awesome. I didn't even yeah. realize that. Yeah, yeah, man. That was one of my favorites as, as a kid. So good. Yeah. Um, and then... The other thing I was going to say, just going off of something that you were talking about, because I had the exact same experience as like, as I read the Hobbit and then I found out about Lord of the Rings and it's like, Oh, it's so much bigger. You have no idea. Yeah. Um, I, outside of Harry Potter, I don't think right now that there's a lot of, and correct me if I'm wrong. And our listeners, if, if you know of something that, that I don't know, let me know, but I don't feel like there's a lot of, fantasy nowadays that's aimed towards getting that middle age uh, middle school aged uh, kids into it and then growing it from there like i mean per- percy jackson kind of readers yeah oh okay i've never read it my wife read i mean it. that that's still like over 10 years old though like i don't know what's i mean i don't have any children so i'm out of that world but yeah. <laughs> i don't know what's published now for them when yeah. when i was a kid too i i forgot to bring it up at redwall was oh my god, massive. Was so good. You know, it's it's mice. She's never read it. She has and, no idea. And oh man, I, I've gone back and, and it's a little dated now, because uh, Brian Jakes was English and and he kind of if you I, I don't like the idea that it's like, oh well this guy's a ferret, so he's a bad guy. And this guy's a mouse, <laughs> so he's a good guy. And I'm like, but what I want I don't want the ferret like he even explores that idea that there's a ferret raised in Redwall and but then by the end he can't fight against his nature and he has yeah. to be bad. I'm like, that's racist. Like that's, <laughs> I'm like, that's not good. Like that's, I understand that's the rules of this fantasy world you created, but like, come on, like you can Where's have the redemption, man. Where's yeah, overcoming yeah. your prejudices. Yeah. So, but that, that was a huge, and that's, that, that was absolutely written for me in fourth grade to read yeah. Redwall. hundred yeah. percent. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I don't know what's coming, what's going on now uh in the world of fantasy for for that age right because it's so so much of it is aimed towards the people who read it all that stuff back when they were kids and now they're still into fantasy and now they want that grim that dark that more yeah realistic i use air quotes for realistic we're talking about fantasy here right yeah, like, yeah exactly yeah you, you don't get real <laughs> i hate it when people are like Ugh. 
Game of Thrones is more realistic. Oh, yeah, with the dragons <laughs> flying yeah. around? It's so realistic. Yeah, it's not real at all. <laughs> this is how they really act. You don't know. The second a dragon exists, that's when we'll know how people will act. Yeah. When you, dragons you, exist. You've written The War of the Roses, which is something that happened in real life, and you put <laughs> dragons there. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So I, I always I have I have fun with that. But yeah, I just I, I think that it's interesting. There's not a lot, at least as far as I know, not a lot of introductory um fantasy that can grow with people. Um but you know, there's so much fantasy being published right now. It's it, I think it's a pretty hot time right now for fantasy being it's great. Published. With D and D becoming bigger, and then you got like Game of Thrones, and um, what else? there's like Cursed is now out on Netflix. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, that looks cool. It does look cool. Um, <laughs> so I was gonna make a Thirteen Reasons Why joke because of the oh, God. actress, but I don't need to make that joke. <laughs> no, that's probably not a good joke. I mean, bring I was, in, I was bring everybody say, down. I was just gonna say, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why you should watch it. At oh. least thirteen. Oh, boo! I know that's not the worst joke you could have made. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Um, but yeah, there's there. I mean, like I said earlier, like um, the uh, Chronicles of Shannara was on. Uh, I don't know how MTV got the rights to that or why they wanted. I mean, Viacom probably had it and book rights revert back after a certain amount of time. If you don't make anything right. Right, If you don't, if you buy it and then you don't make it, it goes back to the publisher, right? Back to the, the writer, depending on what they got. Yeah. So they were probably like, well, we need to do something and let's make something like cool and, and sexy for teenagers. (laughs) Um, I mean, the same thing happened with the sort of truth too. Like they, I mean, I think the Sword of Truth series is probably better than the books, but only because I think the Sword of Truth books are 100% garbage. Um, <laughs> uh, Terry Goodkind with bondage rape magic. He's a creeper. Is that a thing uh, for that, real? I didn't know anything genre. about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, in the series, they made it kind of cool. In the books, <laughs> it, in the books, it's awful. Yeah. Um, there, there's a couple redeeming things in those books. Like they, in that world, they think red fruit is poisonous. And so the Richard, the main character, yeah, his name is Richard. Um, he's always eating apples and it like freaks people out. Like, uh, like okay, that's nice. fun. I would but totally yeah, that, do that, that adapted better than Shannara. I don't know why, like there's so much richness with Shannara yeah. and they just kind of surfaced it. And yeah. they just focused on the wrong things, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I knew once I saw the MTV got it, I was like, they're going to, they're not going to do it right. They're going to turn it into something else. And now, used to do mean, cool stuff. now you've got other stuff like Lord of the Rings is coming to Amazon. Um, right. Uh, critical role. I don't know if that's like a swear word in your, in your, Oh no, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, critical role. Their animated series is coming to Amazon. I cannot mm-hmm. wait for that. I'm super that's going to be so cool. And the fact that like they shopped that for years, they were trying to get it sold for years and all these studios out here because no one knows what they're doing. That's right. in life. No one knows what they're doing. And all these Hollywood executives like think they know what they're doing and they don't. And they're like, no one wants that. No one wants that. No one wants that. And they're like, fine, we'll have a Kickstarter. Biggest Kickstarter for video entertainment ever. Yeah. Like Mystery Science Theater was the biggest one before that, which Mm -hmm. I'm on the crew of. So nice. uh, And which is awesome. Thank you for the job, everybody that kickstarted that. Um, And then uh, 
Critical Role just smashed them like huge, huge yeah. money. And so now all these like all these Hollywood people are like, <laughs> oh, this is so oh, people, great. Want yeah. this. people want this. You're like, we've been telling you this for years. Like for years it was, no, it's too niche. Fantasy is too niche. No one wants anything fantasy. And Lost kind of smashed that. Right. Like where Lost got weird, it was niche and pulpy. And they're like, oh, people do want this. It's not just sci-fi channel originals. People do want this. Lost and Battlestar Galactica. People are like, oh, we want genre fiction. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> we've been we've telling wanted. you this. It's what we've yeah. been wanting forever, man. Mar- Marvel movies are the biggest thing ever. Why? Because people love niche yeah yeah man absolutely so my real question is when are we going to get a fables of refuge um uh animated show oh man it's just so much work um (laughs) you know because gabe and i did uh, gabe's an animator and he worked at corridor with me and we we had an animated show we made for corridor uh back in the day that didn't really kick off but uh but like i can do basic animations, you know, in, in, uh, in after effects and, and it's fine. Um, <laughs> Gabe is much better than me and he's an actual visual artist. Like I, I'm more of a performance artist. He's a visual artist. Mm. Uh, but, uh, it would be great, but that amount of work like that needs money. Like, you know, we're, we're making fables refuge without really any money and that's fine. Animation. That's a whole other thing. Like Carmichael originally, when he pitched the idea of making a Dungeons and Dragons show to me, we wanted to take the narratives we make in the show and turn them into actual like live action fantasy stories, which we could still do. Of course, like we own it. It's ours. Um, But like the idea was you need income for that. Like you can't do that for free. Um, So, and especially on the level that we want to make it. Uh, so maybe one day we'll see Jess in full Dragonborn makeup <laughs> as Tazu walking around, and that would be amazing. Oh, I was gonna uh, say I'm more than happy to play Tazu. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> show up for that audition. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. But like that—that that has to come with like that's a level of professionalism that we want it to be really good, and that needs my. As Jess just said, she approves. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh i've been working hey how's it going jess good how are you guys good 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 (laughs) (laughs) but like we would like i i would love to have an animated of our like quote first season or now that the side quest just finished like we just ended that on on twitch and it'll be up on youtube uh very soon so that'll be done you can binge through that and that is actually i was gonna say i have actively been not watching it so that I can binge all of it because yeah, I that's get, what you told me you like to binge. So like now, I can't side, side stand the the freaking being like, especially with live stuff because you never know where it's gonna be. Someone could be literally dying or dead, and then they're and then you as the DM could be like, all right, that's it for this episode. See, you I mean, yeah, week. and I'm like we, uh, raging, like come yeah. on. <laughs> we, we we purposely cliffhanger every episode. Uh, even if it's just a little one, just to keep you coming back. So sure. go ahead and start the side quest because we're done. It's done. So by the time and, I get to it. Yeah. 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 And right. these last half, we found that doing two hour games once a week and then splitting them into two, two hour episodes on YouTube was much more functional for all of us and sure. easy for Carmichael to edit and easy for me to prep for. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of like got tighter there yeah. at the end. So I think that worked out really nicely. I love um, that you guys are, are actively 
working at your craft. You know, it's not just like, oh, we're doing D&D and we're going to film it. Like you guys are like, okay, we're going to experiment. We're going to do this. And then, okay, let's try doing half an hour episode yeah. two times a week, you know, for a four hour session and yep. sort of thing. And you, I, I genuinely love that. It's not just, we're going to do a critical role does and we're just yeah. going to film it and throw it up and that's it. Yeah. You guys are like, we're, it's a great starting place. Let's perfect it. Yeah. I mean, part of that comes from me and C Mike being working in film and we always want to change things up and see what we can do. Uh, critical role essentially like, they didn't really invent it, but they, they incredibly popularize the format of yeah. live play, right? Yeah. Um, and that's awesome. And I will, I love them. They're amazing. Um, funny enough, I worked with quite a few of them years ago, long before Critical Role started. And oh, then yeah. after Jess got into Critical Role, I was like, oh my God, I know them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did this video and that video with these guys. Uh, nice. But uh, and just little, and they won't, then that was just on a crew, but whatever. Right. Um, but you know, we want to improve the format. We want to play with it. And part of it's also trying to build an audience, trying to get people to watch and be like trying to get the algorithm to grab yeah. and trying to just do something different that might help draw the audience on top of trying to make it better. And like, and we're always changing out gear and seeing what cameras are better, especially with live like doing stuff on the internet is, is such a whole other thing. Yeah, man. Um, and, but what we found also like that I think has been awesome in this side quest where we're playing over zoom and we're capturing and, and see Mike's doing all the stuff on his side while playing. Cause he's playing in the side quest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we found that it, because zoom is difficult and it's hard to move minis and, and do battle on zoom that adds a new layer uh, that, that, kind of drove us toward RP a little bit more. So then, and that takes the weight off of me. Like I set up a scene and then let them just play it and it's great. So we're definitely going to be taking the lessons we've learned from the side quest back to the main campaign when we jump back in, in a, in a week or two. And it's like, Oh, well, my players have grown and know how to like play together better, know how to role play better together and help yeah. create the world more because of the experience we had on top of the technicals that we learned for how we do it online. So it's like real exciting. No, that's super cool. And I mean, I, I know for me as a player and a DM, my favorite part of any D and D show is, is the role play yeah. is being able to get to know characters. You know, when you're in battle, you're just, you're basically going to do the same thing over and over and over again. Sometimes you get a character or a player who is, inventive and it's going to be like oh i'm gonna do this and then you as a dm it's that moment of like yeah all right yeah let's go with yeah. that you know and and that's always exciting in battle but other than that pretty basic you know especially yeah. as a player in dm it's like i wouldn't do that or i wouldn't allow that or yeah, i yeah, yeah. you know so then i start to just kind of like uh okay let's get past the battle i just want to know who wins and then we can yeah, I can it. check out like critical role. I'll check out in battles unless it's like really big yeah. and that's okay. Like some people are all about the battles and that's fine. Yeah. Um, when you're making the show, I try, I think Matt does this only cause that's like me putting myself into him, but it's like, I think he tries to make battles as interesting as he can Sure. and bring in new mechanics, especially boss battles. You have legendary actions, and layer actions and all those oh, things. Yeah. And that's exciting. Um, so I, I think he tries to, bring some more exciting elements to combat because it's a show. Yeah. Um, versus like a home game. You don't necessarily have to do that. And your players are just as excited to hit things with their hammers, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And to stretch all these things that they've been playing around with and, you know, like, oh, I spent an hour figuring out what my spells are. And so it's like, I want to actually see what they can do in battle. And Mm -hmm. it's fun. Like I've gotten my wife to start watching a lot of critical role. um, And, uh, and she's always been like, oh, I'm not ready to play with people. I'm not ready to play. It's, it's too, it's too much pressure. But then we're watching D and D live shows and she'll constantly be like, why would they do that? They should do this. That they get advantage. <laughs> like, and I'm like, I'm like, are you serious? This yeah. is why you're ready to play D and D. You're, you're, you're telling the professional D and D players how to play better. Like, yeah. So one of my, one of my really home players, he had never played before and, and he's a big gamer. Like he loves board games and card games and does all this stuff. And he was like, well, I need to learn all the rules. And I said, no, <laughs> he's like what well, i'm like you don't need to learn all the rules he's like i don't understand i'm like i know <laughs> yeah like, i know you don't understand i was like one i don't know all the rules and i'm the guy that's supposed to know all the rules <laughs> right. but that's why they're written down in books uh <laughs> two i was like you're thinking about it like a board game and while it has those elements it's not just that and so like it took a minute and he's still like we've been playing for a couple years he still like tries to gamify everything. And I'm yeah. like, you can slow that down. <laughs> right. right. Um, but yeah, you, we could, we could start doing a whole nother show, not just an episode, but a whole nother show on the experiences of DMS having to deal with the different types of uh, players. players because it's, yeah. there's so many different types of players and it's really easy to categorize them and, mm-hmm. and do all that. But, but, but even then it's like, you can't play it wrong. Like we find like, Oh, we were messing that rule up the whole time. We're like, <laughs> okay, we'll fix it moving forward. Like it's fine. Yeah. Like you get stuff wrong all the time. Like there's no wrong way to play Dungeons and Dragons. No. It's about what, what rules you do know and how you want to interpret those. Like I think there was something in an early episode of refuge where I was I was listening and I can't remember what it was you guys are doing because it's really not important. Right. You guys are doing something and you guys are like, oh, this is how it goes. And I'm like, no, 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 stop. That's not how it works. That's not the rule. But yeah. then it's like, you guys made it work. You played your game. And obviously it my understanding of that rule did not affect how you guys play the game. Yeah. But there's small times like that where you kind of, it's, and we have stuff like that all the time, especially those early episodes. I mean, like the next episode, we're like, well, we learned that that was wrong. <laughs> yeah. So going forward, we'll play it right. But no, like it, you can't let it bother you. You just got to be like, okay, we learned it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. If there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind.